that. I think a part of worship is uh, it's not just singing songs and clapping and raising hands. That certainly is a piece of it. But I think a part of worship is the, the time that we give. Because I realize our schedules are busy. Things are going on. But the time that we give to worship God, I think, is a beautiful thing. So I want to talk today a little bit more about this journey we've been on, talking about the goodness of God. Um, I had no idea it was going to last as long as it's lasted, but I like talking about the goodness of God. And it's been a, it's been a great journey. And today I want to touch on a, a particular aspect of, um, that I have seen as I've just been meditating on some of these scriptures and thinking about um, what the Bible has to say about the goodness of God. And, and I want to talk about this idea that God's goodness flows through his house. And um, I want to start with Psalm 23, verse 6. It says, Surely goodness and loving kindness will pursue me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. David made a connection, uh, and we're going to see it in actually, actually several times in, the, in David's writings in the book of Psalms, that he literally, somehow there was a connection in his head and in his heart between the goodness of God and the house of the Lord, and that he saw these two things connected. Not everybody would actually go there in their own thinking or in their natural thinking. But I believe David is inspired by the Holy Spirit to make this connection between the goodness of God and the house of God. Because I mean, you know, I mean, there were any number of things David could have said here. You know, he said, surely goodness and loving kindness will pursue me all the days of my life and I will frolic in the woods and have a personal relationship with Jesus. He didn't make that statement, did he? Or he could have said, surely goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life, and I will sit on my couch in my living room and watch videos of guys preaching. His, in his heart and his mind, there was a, a divine connection between the goodness of God pursuing his life and dwelling in God's house. And he makes this statement. He says, I will, I, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I'm not, I don't want to just visit the house of the Lord. I don't want to just go on convenient occasion to the house of the Lord but I, I want to I wanna dwell. I, wanna, I, want, I want something where the house of God becomes kind of a central piece of my life. Uh, David said this in Psalm 27, verse 4. He says, one thing I've asked from the Lord. Now, if you, just, if you had an opportunity, one thing that you would ask, what would you ask for? A lifetime supply of chocolate, <laughs> a certain amount of money, 
boyfriend, a girlfriend, get rid of a boyfriend. I don't know why. <laughs> One thing I've asked from the Lord that I'm going to seek, that I may dwell. Everybody say dwell. I'm going to dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to behold the beauty of the Lord and to meditate in his temple. The house of God for David was like this central piece of how he lived. And I believe that's what God wants to happen in our lives, that our schedule prioritizes the house of God somewhere in the mix of it all. The way we allocate our time, I mean, I know some people will say, Mom, my schedule just doesn't allow me. You do have some control. It is your schedule. And, and whatever, whatever time you have, whatever gifts God has given you, uh, whatever, whatever financial resources God has given you, that somehow or another, a big piece of the center of the way that your life happens and your family's life happens is built around this idea that I'm just going to be a dweller in the house. I, I'm, I'm not just going to be an occasional visitor to the house, but I'm going to dwell in the house of the Lord. Now, I know it'd be easy for somebody to go, well, it sounds a little bit legalistic, and that's the last thing I'm ever after. Because so, so the truth is, so like, how, you know, how many Sundays are important? I mean, how many things should I be a part of? There's 52 Sundays in a year. So if I, if I go 45, does that qualify me? If I go 30, does that qualify me? If I go 20, does that qualify me? I don't think it's anything like that. I think it's literally a condition of the heart that says God's house is going to occupy a big piece in my life because I see somehow the connection between the goodness of God and the house of the Lord. Yeah, he says, David says, I want to, I, I, and I, I'm going to dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Forever. Forever is longer than a year. <laughs> Some of you are catching up to that idea here. Longer than five years, longer than 10 years, forever. I, I have, I've been doing this for decades. I watch people get dislodged from the house of God for so many reasons. And there's always going to rise an opportunity to check out. There's always going to rise a, an obstacle that's going to come in the way of being a dweller in the house of the Lord. You're, you know, busy schedules can just start to swallow, and all of a sudden, the Bible says in Hebrews, don't forsake gathering together as is the habit of some. And I know it's easy to start to develop a habit of missing church life. 
you know? So busy schedules can knock people out of the, uh, out of, you know, the forever zone. Um, uh, it's still um, interesting. That's, I'm trying to find the right word. The, that people will literally miss massive amounts of church life, house of God life, because their kids are involved in sports. Somebody's thinking, why did I come today? Why today? But the truth is, you know, there's like a 0.00067% chance that your kid is going to make a career out of sports. But there is a 100% chance they're going to stand before Jesus one day. And, and you are their parent. Like, you are their parent. So if they live in your house and they eat your food and sleep in a bed you provide for them and they breathe your air in that house, then they go to church with you because they live in your house. You might say, well, I'm their friend. No, you're their parent. That's all. That, be friendly, but be their parent. And so, and I know this can happen. I mean, church life, you can get hurt you can get disappointed, but the truth is, there's all these opportunities, but David said, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. There, nothing is going to knock me out of my place in the house of God. I'm going to stick with it forever. Psalm 65, verse 4, just giving you a couple of verses, let you see that this isn't just a kind of a passing idea. How blessed is the one whom you choose and bring near to you to dwell in your courts. We will be satisfied with the goodness, everybody say the goodness, of your house. Your house. Say your house. <laughs> Thank you. We'll be satisfied with the goodness of your house, your holy temple. And you, you got to remember, David is the guy that was out in the fields singing his song on the, his little harp or whatever he was playing. And so David didn't grow up like going to the church house. His relationship with God started out out in the fields, but something transitioned for him to where he said, I, I, want, I want the goodness of God like in the house. God's goodness is attached to God's house. God loves his house. And if God loves his house, then I'm going to love his house. His goodness flows into his house. His goodness flows through his house, out of his house. You remember the story of Jacob who is traveling along and he's in nowhere land. He lays down on a rock and has this dream and there's a ladder that angels are ascending and descending and he, he gets it. He's in, a, he's in a spiritual place. He's in a spot. And uh, Genesis 28, 17, Jacob says, how awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. The house of God is the gate of heaven. The house of God is the gate that God walks through to get into a community. 
The, the house of God is, is the gate that people walk through to enter into a relationship and then to be discipled and encouraged and strengthened. We are God's house together. People are God's house, right? First Peter 2, I could give you a bunch of verses on this, but just going to give you one for today. First Peter 2, 5, you also as living stones are being built up as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. We are the church. We don't go to church. We are the church. Right? We are the house. Church is not a noun, a a thing you go to. Church is a verb. It's who we are. So, If we are the church, you are the church, I am the church, whatever we do is what the church does. So I always think it's worthwhile to occasionally ask ourselves this question. So if everyone in my church prayed like me, what kind of church would I be a part of? If everybody in my church served like me, what kind of church would that be? Just asking a question. If everybody in my church gave like me, what kind of church would that be? There was a, um, a research study, Pew Survey Research, uh, and they did a study, and they, it was blank is an essential part of being a Christian. And, and there's a lot of different things that people filled in the blank with. What's an essential part of being a Christian? But I thought this was interesting, that 35% of American Christians said... Going to church is an essential part. So that means 65% of American Christians don't somehow connect God to the house of God. So, So there's these millions of Christians that are just sort of isolated frolicking in the woods with their relationship with Jesus or something like that. And I realize when, when I do these kind of messages, somebody might think, man, he's mad or something. I, I'm just reporting. I, I'm just reporting. I, I'm, not, I'm not fussing. But I am pointing something out. 30, so 35% 
say, like going to church is essential to being a Christian. So 65% think it doesn't matter. And then 28% of American Christians said helping out in their church is essential. So that means 72% of all Christians in America are not involved in serving their church. Well, that's the ones that actually go. And that kind of scares the heck out of me to think that we would so divorce our thinking from God's thinking and create our own brand of spirituality. I had a friend that... um, uh, well, let me, let, me take, let me take a survey here. Who thinks Dunkin' Donuts are the best donuts? Right? All right. S- seven of you. <laughs> Who thinks Krispy Kreme donuts are the best? Okay. I feel like my 30 years of pastoring is starting to pay off. But I had a friend that for, for several years owned Krispy Kreme stock. And while he owned Krispy Kreme stock, he was dialed in to what was going on with the company, what kind of moves they were making, shifts they were making, donuts they were making. Like he was dialed in because he owned. And then the day came where he sold his stock off and now he could care less because he's not an owner and his only interest in Krispy Kreme now is when he's riding down the road and that sign from heaven shows up (laughs) and says, hot donuts now. So he could care less anymore because he'd just become a consumer. He'd just become a customer. He just showed up to church, I mean Krispy Kreme, (laughs) occasionally when it fit his schedule. I think, I think to recognize David's love for the house of God, and he literally defines it, the, the temple, is, is I, th- I think we make this false dichotomy. We make it an either or. The church is all about the people, or, or, or you know, churches are these buildings. But how many of you know it's both, boss? Hello. Because buildings house families. Buildings are not the most important part of family, but they do matter. And I'm convinced that the house of God, physically, as well as what we're doing, stands as a representative of God to our community. We just recently have had several incidents happen globally. Uh, Notre Dame Cathedral uh, in, in Paris just caught fire and burned down and 
uh, before the fire was put out, people were making pledges um, towards repairing this because there's a recognition that this is a spiritual, cultural, historical monument that represented something in the earth. And there's already been a billion, one billion dollars <laughs> pledged to restore Notre Dame. One guy, as soon as before the fire was over, pledged 112 million. His, comp, his competitor uh, in, in France doubled his pledge. So, Endeavor Spring Offering is coming up. <laughs> so, and if you want to get in a pledging competition with anybody, that we will encourage. But I, I think it's important for us. I mean, we got to recognize Literally in 30 years, we've seen tens of thousands of people give their life to Christ in these buildings. And, and, I, and you know, I mean, I thank God. Thank God we've lived, we've been here 30 years, right? Madison Curtis could come to church, backslide, come back to church. We're still here. And I know some of you have been around three or four cycles. And that's okay. Thank God for the house of God. That you can find the goodness of God in the house of God. So I do want to encourage you. Uh, we, don't need a, we don't need a billion. I'll take it, but we don't need it. But, but we do need us leaning in to make this great for next weekend as we come to bring our best. I think, I think this thing that happened last weekend in Sri Lanka, there, this, this terrorist group uh, claimed credit for this, if that's what you want, credit for going into a church of Easter worshipers, who are Christians, by the way, went into a Christian church and set off a bomb and killed over 300 people. And what I want us to understand is that the church is under attack in the world. And thank God nobody has walked in and set off a bomb necessarily. But what scares me even worse is the, the declining nature of American Christianity that doesn't have a bomb set off but apathy and nonchalance that puts us in the 72% are just showing up for hot donuts now. Am I preaching this okay? Yeah. And for us to, to lean in and go, God, your goodness is attached to your house, and I'm going to give my best to make your house great in the earth. 
the Golden, Golden Lampstand Church in, uh, in China. Incredible facility. Um, there was 50,000 people were a part of this church, but uh, the Chinese government uh, demolished this with dynamite beginning of last year. Uh, and this is what they said. They, they said, this building was secretly constructed without the proper permits. And it had been there for nine years, but, it's, it, it, but in actuality, it's part of China saying, we're cleansing the spiritual climate of our country. What I'm saying is, people around the world recognize that church buildings that house church families represent something that they want to destroy. And I'm saying, hey, listen, Let's rise up and be God's church in the earth. Yeah. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20 and 21 says, Now to him who's able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think, according to the power that works within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever, amen. To Jesus be the glory in the church. Come on, guys. Church is God's idea. God's great purpose on the earth is building his church because the church is where you locate the goodness of God. And I understand, there's a lot of things that you can give your life to. You can, I mean, you can literally give your life to, to business or to work or to sports or to hobbies or to homemaking or to your Elvis collection. And I'm not saying anything is wrong with business or sports or hobbies or homemaking. Maybe it's something with Elvis collections, I don't know. They all have some value, but I just wanna keep reminding us that a life given to cooperate with God in building his house is gonna be a life well spent, a life well lived. To him be the glory in the church. The church exists to glorify God. First Chronicles 22, this is the same David who's writing these psalms we've been studying for the past few weeks. We read those verses earlier in this service today. First Chronicles 22.5, David said, my son Solomon is young and inexperienced. And he says this, this is his vision. The house that's to be built for the Lord shall be exceedingly magnificent, famous, and glorious throughout all lands. Therefore, now I will make preparation for it. So David made ample preparations before his death. He called for his son Solomon, and he charged Solomon. And just like I, as your pastor in love, am charging you today, build a great house for the Lord God of Israel. Yeah. 
David had a vision of an extraordinary church for an extraordinary God. The houses to be built for the Lord should be exceedingly magnificent, famous, and glorious throughout all the lands. And that's what we're giving ourselves. And facility, yes, at some level, but who we are, exceedingly magnificent, famous, glorious, for the glory of God. I'd venture to say the most famous house in Asheville is the Biltmore House. A million people a year go to the Biltmore House. It's famous literally around the world. But I want to say to you, in the eyes of God, the most important house in Asheville is the house of God. And that's what we are giving our hearts to. That's what we're giving our lives to. God's goodness flows into and flows through his house. So come on, let's go for magnificent worship. Not drift in on song three. Worship. Let's give ourselves to magnificent ministry that touches our city, touches the nations, touches people, touches marriages. Whatever we do, we want, we want it to reflect on our extraordinary God. I'm praying that every one of us catches this vision. God wants to flow his goodness into the earth. He wants to flow his goodness into people's lives. And in God's mind, he uses his church as the channel to make that happen. I want to pray with you guys. I want you to bow your heads, please. And I want you to close your eyes. Let's just take a moment to pray. Father, I just lift up every person in this room. Every one of us is literally called by you to be planted in the house of God. And I'm praying for those who feel disjointed. I'm praying for those who have become non-functioning. Lord, that you will ignite a fresh fire, a fresh vision, a fresh passion, God, to rise up because your goodness flows through your house. So, Father, I pray you revive our hearts. You'll revive our relationship with you. You will touch us. God, it's beyond self-effort, beyond legalistic how many days, how much, how many Sundays. God, it's a passion of our heart for your house to be great in the earth, for you to flow your goodness into the earth through your house. Every head, please, still bowed, every eye closed. I just want to give you an opportunity. Maybe you've never actually surrendered your life to Jesus before. I would love to pray with you. 
Maybe you're here today and you could certainly look back to a day where you were closer to the Lord. You were closer to serving God. You were closer to walking with God, but something has happened to knock you off course or get in the way. And this would be a great day just to say, Lord, here I am, prodigal son, prodigal daughter, coming home, God, to the, the goodness that's in your house. Or maybe you just feel unsure about where you stand. Here's what I want. I want every person to walk out of this room today with a full sense of confidence. I am where I need to be in my relationship with the Lord. And if you're not there, I want to pray with you. There's no shame in this. It's just an open door of invitation. So you say, Pastor, would you pray with me? I want to surrender to Christ or I need to come back or I just want to know for sure I'm right with him. Would you pray with me? I want you to lift your hand real high and say, that's me. Would you pray for me? God bless you. God bless you right here. Come on, somebody else. Yeah, just let the Lord know. More important than me praying for you, let God know. Yes, God bless you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. All over the room, thank you. Come on, God bless you. God, maybe, maybe you've been hurt. Maybe you've been disappointed. Maybe something's come in the way. But look, open your heart and let God do something great in your soul. Is there anybody else? Let's all pray this prayer together. Thank you for those who lifted their hands. You can put them down now. I want us all to say this out loud. Everybody say, Lord Jesus, I open my life to your love, to your lordship. I need you. I want you in my world as my Lord. I know I've sinned. I come to the cross where you paid the price for my forgiveness. Today is a fresh start. It's a new beginning as I surrender to Jesus. Help me become the person you created me to be. Amen. Come on, thank the Lord.